For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Baseball America Fantasy Podcast. This is your host, Jeff Ponce. Alongside me is not only the master of fantasy baseball, dynasty baseball, redraft baseball, robots that play baseball, all of these different things. He's also winning the Toolshed mock draft right now, according to his calculations, if I'm not mistaken. Are you still number one, Dylan? <laughs> uh, I, I am, but uh, you know, that can it changes change. every time. It can, it can, and it really means nothing. But uh, <laughs> it's it's a nice benchmark just to see, you know, how you're doing in certain categories. Absolutely, and you're not too far off from being on the clock. In fact, you're uh, a couple picks away from being on deck there, uh, next to the turn. So, um, I'm in last, I believe, in points or close to it, second to last. We've drafted completely different styles of teams. And I, I, I think, you know, Dylan certainly has a strategy. I like to think that I have a strategy, whether that's accurate or not. Uh, that's up for you to decide. But I've drafted a much younger team. I've gone very heavy on upside. Um, that's not to say that I don't have some major leaguers. And that's not to say that Dylan doesn't have some upside in his team. Um, but I think you look across the board, you've you've drafted, you know, very much a, uh, a redraft sort of style team. Yeah, I have. I uh, I don't know if you want to get into sort of how the strategy kind of worked its way out, but uh... sure. Let's let's talk a little bit about your general approach and just this approach in general. Um, and I think you know, obviously, you got some some great picks there at the top. You were blessed with the second pick overall in this draft, and you took Julio Rodriguez. Um, but let's talk a little bit about the the build in general going down and sort of what your your primary targets are because you're still very young you know, in your first seven rounds. Yeah. I mean, the first thing, and it, it applies to any, any dynasty startup is like, obviously know your league, right? So uh, in this league, it's 14, it's 14 yeah. <laughs> teams. Yeah. There's only one catcher, which is, uh, you know, a bit of a wrinkle that from what I'm used to, sometimes I have like two catcher leagues with like 20 teams. Um, so that means obviously that there are 14 catchers that are going to be drafted, which is going to be completely different than, you know, if there are 30 catchers to be drafted. So, sure. you know, you kind of do a, a mental adjustment in your head of like what, what replacement level or, or whatever kind of um, adjustment you do for that already. It's also batting averages of OBP. So obviously that's going to make a difference and it saves instead of, instead of hold. So I kind of knew that um, I wasn't going to go too heavy on the catchers, which I like to do in redraft. I, I don't like to get stuck with a bad catcher. Um, so that kind of, you know, it uh, kind of re relieved my mind a bit there. So anyway, that, that was sort of the preamble. Um, I had second pick. So Acuna was obviously the first pick. Um, and I really wasn't sure who I wanted. I, they, obviously, you can't really go wrong with Julio Rodriguez, who I ended up taking, or Corbin Carroll, Bobby Witt Jr. Um, I remember who was 
fifth. Uh, I mean, Jordan Alvarez is in there, and yep. you know, Tatis is in there, Soto's yeah, in Riley there. Riley Green in the fourth. Yeah. Yeah. So it, I actually was thinking of taking Shohei Otani because I I wanted Ooh. to kind of be controversial, um, have something to talk about, but I just decided to go through Julio. I don't have Julio anywhere in any of my leagues, and so you know, I wanted to see what it felt like to take him. But I mean, my first couple rounds is sort of you just take kind of young bats um, with like multi-category eligibility type of thing where they're going to get, um, you know, not just home runs, not just like a Pete Alonso type, but someone, you know, who's also going to get batting average and and something. Um, so I have Bo Bichette, I have Raphael Devers. Um, that was kind of how I started. And then because I do track how, how the projections are, um, I kind of thought I was near the top because I saw, you know, like you were, you were going young. Chris Blessing was kind of going young. And so it's like they're, you know, two guys are not doesn't don't look like they're going for it, quote unquote. And so, you know, pretending this is a real draft, I was like, okay, well, maybe I'm gonna change gears and start focusing more on the the current year's production than than taking a, you know a high upside prospect. So that's kind of how it shook out for me. So how how did you when did you decide that you were gonna go like prospect heavy? Um you know, I don't know if it's necessarily gone prospect heavy as much as it is like I try to take the best player on the board in terms of what I think overall um, long-term impact is going to be. So, like, I started with Spencer Strider at 13. I thought he was the best player on the board. Gunner was an option there. Seeger was an option there. Ellie De La Cruz was an option there, as was Wyatt Langford. Um I took Wyatt Langford at 2 2. Um, so, you know, being the 13th pick, I then got the turn there. Gunnar and Seeger, who Shelly took, were both right there for me. Um, whether either of them was available, uh, I probably take Gunnar over Langford. I don't know if I take Seeger over Langford, actually. Um, I think Wyatt Langford is the number one fantasy prospect right now. Um, I don't know if he's the number one real life prospect, but I think if you just look at production, the type of underlying like hitter data that we have access to in terms of his bat to ball skills, his approach, his ability to get on base because of that, um, his power, and he does have the ability to run. And, you know, if he does end up in this lineup early next season, which I think is a possibility, he's going to be in a great lineup situation as well. And probably for years to come. Um, so I just look at Langford as a guy that could blow it up and be like rookie of the year. Um, or, you know, one of the best young hitters in baseball over the next three or four years. Uh, and we've seen how the guys like that can go into the first round really quick. So that's why I went there. I went back to Evan Carter. I love Evan Carter. Um, I would actually take Evan Carter over Cheerio probably in most dynasty formats right now. And I do like Cheerio a lot. Um, I just think like, you know, we saw a little bit of it obviously in the playoffs, but um He's so mature for guys. This is is a baseball 20 season. I think people forget that because he turned 21 late in the year. Um, He's going to be 21 most of the next season. Sky's the limit with a guy like this. I think there's more power to come. He's a good athlete. He's going to play in the field. The hit tool is super advanced, and his on-base ability is great. He's going to score a lot of runs. Could be a guy that, you know, maybe is one of the the top two to three spots in this Texas lineup. Um, We saw that at times during the playoffs. So it's like, for me, I think that Carter's another guy that maybe I took him a little higher than others would have taken him. Um, but like Tristan Cassis went a few picks later. 
Tariq Scoble, um, Royce Lewis, who I like a lot. I grabbed him in another dynasty league. He was another guy that I was considering right there. Um, I'll have like plenty of risk attached as well. So uh, for me, I liked Carter there. I went with Adley Rushman in the fourth round. Um, yeah, you know, I, I agree with the catcher thing. I just think Adley is such, uh, you know, a unique case where uh, there's a lot of power. There's hitability. He's going to play every day. Um, you know, good lineup situation, obviously, as well with him. Um, so I can see people picking nits with that pick a little bit with a catcher where he was versus taking another pitcher. Um, but yeah, I mean, I went a little bit younger. I, like I had Horner in the fifth, who's young, but not crazy young. Um, Zach Geloff in the sixth, who I just like the overall production. Not a great lineup situation, but he's probably going to hit at the top of that lineup. I don't have too many questions about that. Um, some power, some speed. Um, counting stats will be fine. Went Dylan Cruz in the seventh. Excuse me. Um, Tanner Bybee in the eighth, which I like the combo of Strider and Bybee there. Uh, I don't fret too much in a dynasty startup about getting too many starters. I like to take my starters a little bit later. I'm actually fine taking older starters and having a younger lineup. That's typically how my teams are kind of structured. And then I'll I'll pick my spots with some pitching prospects or some good values on younger players once we get into sort of the bench rounds. Um, and then I went really young with like the stretch of Roman Anthony, Walker Jenkins, Colson Montgomery. Um, they're all top 10-ish prospects for me. They were hanging around for a really long time. Um, I think Anthony's impact is maybe a year away. Jenkins might be a few, but I'm okay with that. It's a decent trade chip. Um, Colson Montgomery might be in the big leagues next year. Um, and then like kind of finishing off like from, from, from here on out was Springer, Nate Lowe, Alec Baum. Um, I took Sandy Alcantara knowing that my team is a little younger and I could take a chance like that there in the 15th. I like the value on it. And then uh, TJ Frito, who's one of my favorite players, uh, uh, frankly, like I think he's one of the more underrated players in the game right now. Um, does a lot of things well. There's some power, some speed. It's a good um, team dynamic and, you know, good bat to ball guy can do a lot of things well. So um, guy that can score a lot of runs and maybe hit it at the top of the lineup. So I feel like there's a lot of upside here, but I don't I don't think any of my prospects are all that far off from impact. And I think there's some guys that the projections probably don't necessarily know how to wait their contribution uh, next year so or even the year after so is it more of a year two year three team absolutely but i don't i don't feel like in terms of what i have through 16 rounds right now with whatever another nine remaining that i'm that far off from you know what where i need to be and have uh, a lot of upside i like teams in year one where i can look into year two and uh see see things getting better yeah, I mean, we were talking just before the thing how uh, you took Alcantara in the 15th, so like pick 209, and uh, Jesse Roach took DeGrom 205. And I, and I think that's way too late for both those guys. I just, yeah. <laughs> in a mock, it's not sexy to take yeah. like Sandy Alcantara or Jacob DeGrom because, you know, you're we're not actually going to wait a year. Um, so I, I kind of eschewed taking those guys. I just went with, since I was already on the road to like trying to get the best projected team for 2024. Sure. I, uh, that's what I did. But uh, yeah, I, I really think you got a great value on the on Alcantara there. Yeah. And I feel like I have, like, we would go a little bit deeper if this was actually a startup and we would have some more bench rounds and, you know, I would be able to take some shots and maybe some post hype guys uh, that could fill some roster spots that, 
some of these pro you know keep it warm for a year or so and you can even at that point go with some older guys to backfill too um that people are maybe scared off not by the production by the fact that they're 32 33 34 35 um and it's kind of okay it's like i'll take a guy like that in a league like this if i have some high upside prospects earlier knowing i can either package them together for an upgrade or you know if they're really good prospects in this league i got guys who i think are all top 10-ish hitting prospects they have a pretty good track record in recent years of being hits more often than not um and sometimes one of those guys can really blow up and <laughs> all of a sudden you're sitting on a guy that would have gone in the top 10 picks if you drafted again the next year um so that's kind of what my goal is in year one is to just have as many good players as i possibly can maybe backfill a little bit, but try to get some upside, particularly early and, um, you know, see how, see how things manifest. Cause I feel like I can always trade prospects for the most part, because I can usually find more every year. There's a new draft class. Every year there's a new IFA class. There's a new high minors pop-up guy like Vinny Pasquantino or a low minors pop-up guy. You know, there's always somebody like that. And, uh, you just got to be out there for the take and go get those guys and, you can backfill even if you trade a lot of your high-end prospects for right now when moves. One hundred percent. Like this best projected team means nothing because you could just trade Langford for Luis Robert or like Garrett Cole or something and everything yeah. changes. So you you'd see how the how the year is shaking out, how the stats are shaking out, and then you can just pick and choose who you want to take. So yeah, obviously, you know, having the 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 highest value asset, quote unquote, is the the way you want to go. So Absolutely. Let's take a quick break here and then uh, we'll talk a little bit more about strategy. What do you say, Dylan? Let's do it. All right. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't a search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. That's why I use Indeed for our hiring at Baseball America. It allows me to do everything on one website. I get quality candidates. I can schedule them. I can interview them. I can screen them. I can send messages to them all within Indeed. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. 
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And we're back. All right. That was, uh, that was a nice break. I hope whatever product JJ was pitching to you this time was uh, worthwhile and uh, can fulfill your holiday wish list. Anyway, <laughs> um, but I, I think like this is a good lesson in general. I, you know, I'm doing a, uh, a dynasty startup draft um, simultaneous to this. It's, it's much deeper into the draft. We're in round 30 something out of, out of 50 rounds. Um, 16 teams and it's funny because I feel like there's some some things that don't necessarily happen in a real draft that happen in mocks you know and some of it is like not you in particular but some people drafting for like the best team and I don't know if they would necessarily draft like that if they were in a startup and the rules obviously will dictate a lot of that too like this league that I'm in obviously isn't is an OBP league so that kind of changes the dynamic of who's what I took Evan Carter in the second round in that, in that draft. Cause like OBP Evan Carter, I mean, he could be a machine, you know, the walk rates are alone are going to, are going to float me. <laughs> I went Royce Lewis, Yuri Perez, uh, Josh Lowe, Matt McLean. I, Kyle Tucker was my, my one twelve pick. Uh, I got Xander Bogarts, Glaber Torres a little bit later down the board, Yandy Diaz, I love this team. This team was kind of the same thing. I went upside kind of early. Um, was able to get maybe a few more MLB guys because I think some prospects went a little bit earlier than they went in that mock. Um, and was kind of able to find that nice niche of like 23 to 26 on a lot of these guys. Um, and then kind of backfill with some vets and and some higher upside pitching uh, uh, prospects and, and, uh, and pitchers too, just guys that maybe had a down year or were injured and could potentially come back or just aren't sexy. Like, you know, Eduardo Rodriguez or a Merrill Kelly. Um, but those guys can contribute, um, especially if you're in a 16 team league, you know, innings are at a, at a premium uh, in any dynasty league past 12, frankly. Um, so starters matter and having a, a variety of starters to play the matchups is always something that I'm trying to do. So for me, it's more about, uh, Decent quality, but getting more of more quantity from those groups because I was looking at draft boards last year and like Blake Snell went like the eighth round in a lot of leagues. You know, it's like there's a lot of these pitchers that people kind of write off after a down year or an injured year and then they come back and have a great year and you're drafting guys in the first round that maybe don't necessarily return the same value. Like I was a guy that drafted Corbin Burns all over the place and I think he was SP 20 or something in the end, you know, and there were a handful of guys I could have gotten in later rounds that it's like, I could have used that on a hitter, you know? Um, and I think with dynasty in general too, I, I personally just have a greater comfort in investing in hitters over the first like three to four rounds more often than not. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I, I went, I went against what I normally do and I drafted uh, more pitchers than I normally would. And it was, it was because a pitchers were starting to go in this league, yeah. um, like the mock we were in quite early, 
And since I was kind of quote unquote going for it, I, I, I was running out of pitchers who were going to contribute. So my, my first pitcher I ended up taking was Pablo Lopez. Um, and then, so that is fascinating of any dynasty startup is just seeing how the dynamics are. Um, and when I compared, uh, when you were showing me who your first couple picks were, it was like, you were in the 10th round and you're picking guys who are all gone in our league by the fifth round. Like you were getting what I was thinking is incredible value, um, in your startup, the, the one that the real league. Well, yeah. So, and the point, and it's, and it's a league for money too. But I think like, if you look at it, there were younger players, with higher upside that were drafted in the second round. Churio went, um, I just had it up here a second ago. Caminero went in the second round. There were two pitchers taken in the first. Um, Strider went 113. Cole went 116. There wasn't another pitcher taken until 3-2, Louis Castillo followed by Logan Webb. Um, so there were full rounds where pitchers weren't getting taken. And I just think that the way the dynamic works often in a startup is very different, especially if like nobody else is going to see it. As funny as that is to say, like, I think that people are much more apt to go chalk in a mock than they are necessarily in like an actual real draft. And you know, and when you get, and when you get non-writers, sometimes, you know, they may actually have different values on players than what the general consensus has, which isn't necessarily wrong either. You know, um, there's a lot of really good fantasy players that make their hat beaten up on, <laughs> beaten up on experts. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, I think the dynamic of a mock versus a real draft is apparent too, even just with the sense of urgency, like I said, like, you know, we're in we're in round 34 right now, and we started 24 hours before the mock did. And that mock is in round 15, 16. You know, um, everybody's paying attention in the draft. <laughs> no, it's, it's just you know, I think that's the thing with mocks. I don't love mocks. I think yeah. it's fun if it's a controlled group. Like if it's like three or four of us, like when we do like our like FYPD mock or something like that, it's all internal. It can be a little interesting because people are explaining like picks and stuff like that. It's in a set dynamic. But more often than not, the more I do this, the the less interested I am in mock drafts in general. But or what even happens in a mock draft? I'm starting <laughs> to sound like one of those NFBC guys that gets everybody angry. I don't mean to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think the mocks are extremely valuable if they're taken seriously, which it, we all are taking it seriously. Um, I think they're hugely valuable to uh, you know, like the the readers and all that because it you know helps uh, provide value valuations for these players. Like, where do you take Yuri Perez compared to Zach Allen, like that type of thing. Um, but yeah, it's just I, I just can't believe how different the two drafts are. Like this one that yeah. we're in together, uh, I. In the first 10 rounds, I was looking at it. We have 95 hitters and 45 pitchers were taken. So like a two to one ratio of hitters to pitchers, which I think is just so high for a dynasty startup from like my experience of what I've been in. Um, and maybe it's because we're seeing how pitchers are so like they're so uh, they're, they're, they're so many are so injured. Alcantara, DeGrom, all these things that they're not available anymore. Um, that they're so valuable because there's the few and far between, like that's what we're seeing in like NFBC and all that. Mm -hmm. um, 
I don't know, or it's just just the pendulum is swinging. I was looking at uh, your naming like the pitchers in your your other draft. There were only a few in the in the first couple of rounds, but I, I was looking at ours, round three and round four. So picks twenty nine to fifty six. These are the pitches that were taken: Yuri Perez, Luis Castillo, Corbin Burns, George Kirby, Zach Gallen, Tarek Skubal, Grayson Rodriguez, Tyler Glass. Now. Kevin Gossman, like so many pitchers were taken in the first like 50 picks, which is not the experience I'm used to seeing. So, which is why, which is why I went, I pivoted a little bit harder probably into the prospects because they kept on dropping down the board. And I was like, you know, I'm looking at Razball's player radar from last year, right? Up at the top, not a lot of surprises, Strider and Cole. Then it's Snell. Gallon, Zach Eflin, then Louis Castillo, Kevin Gaussman, Zach Wheeler, Justin Steele, Kyle Bradish, George Kirby, Logan Webb, Chris Bassett, Logan Gilbert, Clayton Kershaw at 15, Framber Valdez, Pablo Lopez, Corbin Burns, Kodai Sanga, Freddie Peralta, Merrill Kelly, Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, Shohei Otani, and Sonny Gray. Then Eduardo Rodriguez is 26. Even if, as far as like right now production, it's really hard to predict pitcher value from year to year. I, I just, I think it's much easier to predict hitter value from year to year. And when you're looking at a dynasty, I think that's what you're looking at because these guys can change so quickly, like on a dime. Like I traded for in season this year in my 30 team, I traded for Shane McClanahan and he got hurt the next start. Shane McClanahan is worth significantly less now than what I traded him, traded for him in, you know, weeks before that injury. It's just the nature of the beast, you know, and guys can fall off for two years and you don't hear anything about them as they're rehabbing and they pop back up. It's just the nature of the beast when it comes to pitching. And I think like for me, I acquire pieces in these drafts and then I trade for pitching. Like that's the easiest thing for me to then trade for. You know, going into a season thinking guy's healthy, make that deal, you know, or I'm going to bank on this guy being healthy and having a good year. And even that can blow up in your face, as we've seen. Um, But I think that's how you have to handle it. I think overvaluing pitching in a dynasty startup early, it can lead to some bad teams. Not everybody can do that. You know, if you have a whole draft board of people doing that, it's going to blow up on most of those teams. You'll have three or four that are successful. And then from year to year, that can fluctuate greatly. You know, I think you need depth. You need, you need depth. It's just like a major league team. You need more starters than you can possibly have. <laughs> Especially the deeper the league. To, uh, depth is is probably the most underrated thing in a dynasty league, or even in redraft, yeah. um, that is overlooked. Um Totally agree. Obviously. I mean, we talked about this, about how to build a a pitching staff and dynasty that like you, there's going to be in a 15 team league, you know, there's five teams in the bottom five and then they're not going to want to hold on to Charlie Morton or Clayton Kershaw or Merrill Kelly, Merrill Kelly. (laughs) You just, you find the guy who's actually performing that year and who who probably is not going to play another couple of years. And then you just trade for them and you, you can get, you can trade something cheap. You can trade a second rounder next year and an FYPD type of thing and get the guy who's producing. Um, so oh. totally agree. You don't need, you don't need to draft pitching and just wait to see 
you know, who, who's performing well. And, and speaking to your thing about how, how the fluctuations are of pitchers year to year in our draft, I'm looking at it here round eight, these pitchers went back to back. And I don't think you ever would have predicted this um, two years ago, one year ago as Walker Bueller pick one Oh two and then Cole Reagan's one Oh three. There you go. So Cole yeah. Reagan's not on anyone's radar, of course. And then Walker Bueller, like who would think he dropped around eight in a year where he's coming back from injury. You'd still think he'd be in the, you know, the top five or something like that. Yeah. And you know, I think that's, that's the nature of it. And like Walker Bueller could be one of the five, the five or six first pitchers taken a year from now, if he has a great year in 2024. Right. Um, and I, yeah. And I was just, I was just thinking about, you know, like a similar thing where like, you know, you look at, um, you know, Tarek Skubal, Tyler Glass now, right. Just to, to name a few, um, would it be that much of a stretch if Kyle Bradish had a better year than either of them? Both of them? No, no, last I mean, year. obviously. <laughs> exactly. He did last year. <laughs> what what you would expect the asking price to be on Kyle Bradish in the Dynasty League versus the asking price on Tyler Glasnow or Tarek Skubal right now, despite the success of Bradish, I bet you the asking price would probably be higher on both. Yeah, I can't I, guarantee it, but it wouldn't shock me because he's just not, it's not as sexy of a name despite the production, you know? Um, it's like, we, we still draft so much on upside with pitchers. Um, and it's probably the place where gambling on upside can likely, you know, be like, you know, fool's gold more often than not. Um it's just the, the fluctuations from year to year are great. And like, there's rare guys. Like there's obviously like the striders, the Coles. I'd put Zach Wheeler probably into that category right now. Um, I think Zach Allen's probably in that category right now. Like Blake Snell was number three. Would you gamble on Blake Snell being a top five pitcher again next year? Some of the underlying stuff and <sighs> just the nature of Blake Snell. Um, I think if he wasn't a free agent, I probably would, but that just the idea of him signing a huge contract and they usually they come out sluggish in their first year. Maybe that's anecdotal, but, uh, like I had Blake Snell on that, that main event team that won. Um, so I, I can't speak ill of Blake Snell. Ill of Blake Snell, Blake Snell <laughs> or, or George Kirby. I, I would go George Kirby. And th- this is my, uh, this is actually one of my points I was going to say is that, you, you, you want to give yourself outs with players. So if you take Blake Snell and he has a bad year, if he has like a 155 whip or something like that with a four mm-hmm. ERA, his value tanks. If George Kirby has a bad year like that, his value is still going to be good because he's he's young. They'll just chalk it up to a mulligan. Like his value will still be retained. You'll be it'll be much easier to to trade George Kirby than Blake Snell next year if they had a terrible year this year. Yeah. So. You, you got to do that, that type of that calculus. I know it's difficult, but like if I take Max Scherzer, who I'm planning on taking uh, spoiler alert, when I uh, have my 16th round pick, if he has a terrible year, if he's injured and, and, and doesn't pitch, which is quite likely and quite possible, he, his value is almost zero. But if you mm-hmm. take someone like, I don't know, I can't think of anyone, Braxton Garrett or Mackenzie Gore, both of who are available and they have middling years 1.25 whip and a you know 4.4 ERA like they're they'll be much more valuable than Max Scherzer next year. Mm-hmm. So if this was a real draft, I would not take Max Scherzer. I would take Braxton Garrett or Mackenzie Gore. Um, 
but because you know it's a mock and I'm going for it and Max Scherzer is projected to do very well this year and I still think he's very good. Um, you're playing your role. You're <laughs> playing my role exactly. Um, I, I I would take uh, I'm going to take Max Scherzer, but as I'm saying, you want to you want to give yourself outs. You want to not commit overcommit. And like I don't want to have Scherzer and Sale and and Kershaw on a, on a startup no. because you know you, you can be in big 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 trouble if you know things fall that way and it's not even that improbable. So you want to always give yourself outs. You want to always give yourself paths. You can go younger. You can go, you can go for it. Like you want to always have like that fork in the road, that ability. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I just went on a rant. No, it was perfect. No, <laughs> I I agree. You know I think those are. Uh all elements of like your dynasty build strategy that you can take it a variety of different ways. I think that's the thing is there's no set way. Like I think years ago, people very much believed that you had to like draft or redraft team if you wanted to win in dynasty. And I think over time that was proven incorrect. Like you can, you can draft a younger team, make trades, acquire players, wait a year or two, and things can start to really come together, you know, in a, in a rush, you know, especially if you have a young group of players who are all about to break free or in at the, around the same time. Um, all of a sudden, you know, your team can look very different in a year and the trade offers that you're getting can be very different as well. Um, and that's kind of the situation you want to be in, right? Like, I feel like you can kind of make your own destiny. I think the other thing too, that I'll say here is, um, the longer I've done this, the less I am likely to fall into like what consensus says. If I want a player, I go and get the guy. If I think that I've done the research and, you know, I know the player, I know the skills, I think he's going to be this, go get the guy. Like I, you know, I think sometimes people get scared of like, if I make this pick, it's going to be shocking. People could think I'm crazy. Sometimes those are the best picks. It's baseball, man. Like a year from now, half the stuff we're saying is going to sound like, uh, the most insane thing you've ever heard because it's going to be completely inaccurate. So <laughs> go out there, have some fun and like, you know, play the game, figure it out. I think that's the big thing. Like I, you know, more the, the picks that I've regretted in my life are more often than not been times I haven't trusted my gut and I've gone with like who is ranked higher on consensus boards, you know? Yeah, I mean, especially in dynasty, like you, you can't even really veto unless there's collusion. You can't really veto any dynasty trades. I mean, the two the two trades that I can think of that were the most shockingly one sided at the time, it seemed, have actually flipped <laughs> to be the other way a yeah. few years later. And it just it's like looking back, going, I can't believe how like up in arms we were about that trade when it actually has flipped to be the other way. It's uh, you get you just you never know you never know value changes constantly. I mean that's why we love the game. We try to sustain a, a winning team over a long period of years is very 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 difficult, um, and that's what kind of makes it fun. That's what makes trying to solve that puzzle uh, so engaging. Yeah, absolutely. All right, man. Well, I will uh, wrap this sucker up. Say good night to the people. And, uh, we'll be back in another week. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. Cheers. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, 
offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.